Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis, this is MJ Network So what if it's going to snow today, but it's going to be a great show today We have the author of The Last Redemption, Matt Coyle, is here. And this book is so fantastic. Rick Hale is one of my favorite characters. And I just hope he brings him back a thousand more times. So good morning. Welcome to MJ Network. MJ, after my sister, Marsha Joyce. Well, thanks for having me again, Fran. Always nice to be here. It's not snowing out in California, at least Southern California. Well, that's not fair. Yeah, it was snowing the other day. We had snowflakes, and they promised us some more of the horrible white stuff. And it's freezing here, too, by the way, people. So make sure if you're outside, you wear three winter coats because it is officially 34 degrees. Now it's not too bad. So tell us, give us a brief summary of Last Redemption and the backstory about Rick. I like this character a lot. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I guess I'll give you in reverse order the backstory about Rick. He's a private investigator and about, he used to be a uh, police officer in Santa Barbara and about, I think it's been about now 17 years maybe that his wife was murdered when he was on the force. He was arrested for the murder, but never tried, released, but never exonerated. So for many years, he was thought to be the guy who got away with murder. Went back to his hometown, San Diego, became a private investigator, and and he, he has to makes the mistake of getting emotionally involved in cases, and that has uh, can have emotional and physical consequences for him. And in this book, Last Redemption, as it opens, and this isn't these aren't spoilers because you learn them on the first page. Uh-huh. His girlfriend <laughs> is pregnant with the child he never thought he'd have, and. He's also, although he doesn't tell his girlfriend this, he has come down with the disease, um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is uh, also known as CTE, the pro football disease, which um, mm. a lot of people have had a lot of head trauma end up with. The only uh, true diagnosis can come after death, um, but he's the doctor has concluded that's probably what he has. Rick hasn't told his girlfriend because he doesn't want to spoil the high of finding out they're pregnant finding out they're pregnant. But he's he's kind of uh relegated his work because of a upcoming child and the fact he's in a committed relationship for a change. To not doing dangerous jobs. He basically does um background checks for uh, corporations. That's kind of what he only he's doing. Pays well but it's not really doesn't really uh, get his blood flowing. But that's what he's done. He's made the sacrifice for his pending family. And he ends up taking his his good friend and sometimes partner, Moira McFarland, has asked him to surveil her son because he was – his girlfriend broke up with him. The son's girlfriend broke up with him and put a restraining order on him, a temporary restraining order. And Moira fears that the son has broken it, and she wants Rick to look into it and make sure he's not doing what he shouldn't be doing. Shouldn't be doing. So that's the sum up for um, Last Redemption. I wish he was real. Seriously, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm seriously. Everybody needs somebody like him, and you don't find anybody like that. What can I tell you? I definitely think wish he was real. Too bad he's only in well, the book. Seriously. Well, I'll tell. <laughs> so, I'll tell him. I'm sure he'll be flattered. Thank you. Tell him if he comes alive, I'm the first customer. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) So why was he considered a computer genius? That's the other thing. Well, that's your son. That's Luke's. uh, That's Moira's son. Luke is a computer whiz kid. I think he's about 24. Yeah. And he is... uh, 
he's a programming genius. Some kids just sort of get that, and, and you know, they had the brain for it. And when they go to school for it, and they and they uh, they um, have the aptitude. And he works for a company called Connect Tech, which helps uh, businesses that it's kind of like a kind of like a um, temper a temp business in some ways, although they do their own work as well. But they they lend out um, computer programmers to help businesses that need it. And Luke has been Luke had done a, done some work for a company that is in the DNA research called. Um, hmm. Sequence Corp. That's scary. So tell us about the Sanchomes and the companies that we're affiliated with. Sandstroms are a wealthy power couple. The husband is a um, leveraged. Uh, I'm blanking on the term. He's a uh, he's an investment banker in some ways. He, he, what he does is he um, kind of blank on the term. He invests in startups, basically a lot of startups and health industry companies. And his wife was worked for a powerful politician, a congresswoman, for years, and then she started her own five hundred one three C charitable organization. And then she teamed up with um, Scott Sandstrom, and they invest in. Uh, health industry companies and they have invested in the company that Luke did some work for. I'm not going to give away. I crossed out the last, the next three questions. I really did. Good. And you, well, you know, got to be careful here. Now tell us about Sheila. Why did she want to help Rick? Everybody wants to help him. Almost everybody. Almost everybody. <laughs> Sheila worked with um, Luke at Connect Tech, a little company they worked for. Mm-hmm. And uh, semi-spoiler, Luke goes missing. And Sheila had a crush on Luke and never really worked out. They used to date him for a while and never worked out. And because Luke went to this other woman, Gabby Dates, who ended up having a restraining order on So she she's doing all she can to help Rick find uh, Luke but she also is quite quite bright um, when it comes to computers well the girlfriend better watch out because he's hot what can I tell you poor Rick <laughs> so Moira worries me because she's like a lot of people that I'm that I know she goes through many moods so how come she overreacts at times and does she take Xanax <laughs> or anything to calm her down what thing? She's actually in the other books. She's been the counterpoint to Rick's uh, yeah. uh, kind of erratic behavior, but in this one, her son's missing, so that changes everything. The, she's, you know, her only child. Her father, her father, her husband died when of a heart attack when Luke was, I think, about fifteen, which was seventy years ago. And uh, all she's got is Luke, her son, and so. This one matters to her. She is erratic. She is emotional. Aside that mm. Rick hasn't really seen of, seen of her before, and he feels you know, she, he just he doesn't have a whole lot of friends. So he feels she's her best. She's his best friend. He feels responsible for her, and because she's bailed him out of many messes he's made for himself. So tries to help her and he tries to counterbalance for an odd situation for him to be in to try to be the settling force but tries to counterbalance her emotion and it is definitely a different Moira than we've seen in the other books but and it also it's you know Rick Rick hasn't really had a family situation since he was about eight years old even though he still lived with his mother his father his father died when he was older but his father um became an alcoholic because of something that happened to him and the mother basically disowned Rick's father and Rick in, in many ways when Rick kind of sided with the father. So the idea of having a family again is new to him and um, he's getting an idea of how much it means when he sees what Moira's going through. Yeah, I know. It's hard. I felt bad for her, really. I was getting worried. 
But so, did you do have to do any research related to uh, anything? I don't want to say the word on here. Did you have to do any research before you wrote this book? I did. Uh, it's, it's cancer DNA research. I, I did. It was funny. I, I can't remember exactly what I was looking for when I started researching uh, DNA. I was I was looking mm. kind of like those 23andMe connections where familial DNA and all that. And mm. I don't know what rabbit hole I found, but I ended up learning that there was there was a company, and, and I don't think they've had a breakthrough yet, that was researching – Let's see how you put this. Researching through DNA how to predict what cancer people may get, and mm. that plays that plays a big part in, in the in the book. And like I wasn't once I found it, I thought, well, this is really interesting. I figured that if that was something that could really come to fruition, and as far as I know, it hasn't yet. That would be, um, you know, a pot of gold for cancer cancer drug from big pharma that had drugs that may yeah. help um, alleviate certain kind of predicting certain kinds of cancer. Um, but yeah, I did, I did a fair, I didn't, you know, I, I did a fair amount of research, but I, I didn't go, you know, into the, completely into the nuts and bolts. You always do mm-hmm. more than you need, but um, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of research, but once you learn something interesting like this, you do go down the rabbit hole, as I said. But uh, yeah, it took some amount, but I, you know, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't put a white coat on and go sit in uh, laboratories with doctors or researchers. I love doing research. I love doing research. It's fun. And yeah, when you talk about DNA and stuff like that, my niece is going for respiratory therapy, and I'm learning an awful lot because I'm helping. Mm-hmm. So yeah, research is research is fun. Depends on the area. I know. So tell us about Charlene and why Rick loved to turn the page here. Wondered about her husband's death. Hmm. Let's see. Charlene's husband worked for one of the uh, DNA research companies. Yeah. Businesses, whatever labs, and he had he uh, was. He was this CEO, or not CEO, he's the, the um, he was the uh, CFO, I think, but uh, he, he was an overweight guy and quite big and died of a heart attack, which you look at him and you would think that makes sense, but um, Rick began to have thought there might be something more to it because of some of the things he was finding out, and he finds his wife who's probably 50-something, early 50s, and goes to talk to her and learns quite a bit. I won't get into what he learns. But the interesting thing about Charlene for me is that I I didn't, first of all, when I'm writing the book, I didn't know there'd be a character like her. But the more I wrote her, the more I liked her and um, her relationship and dealing with grief. And um, just kind of a throwback personality kind of reminded me of not necessarily my mom specifically, but um, just women of an earlier time, even though she's only in her 50s now. And uh, it was one of those things where, you know, like I said, you didn't, I didn't expect or plan to write this character, but I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And um, I thought she was, I thought she was a pretty solid person. That is good, yeah. It's fun when you know, when you model somebody after somebody you you think you know or somebody in your family sort of makes it easier to make it. But so yeah. who were the two men that were doing surveillance on Luke's condo and why? And why was he such a threat? I like Luke, by the way, in spite of himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, Rick uh, and Mo- when, when Luke goes missing. All of a sudden, this pretty um, innocuous surveillance yeah. turns into something big. And, of course, someone has died, as always happens. Someone's been murdered. Um, so Rick and Moira team up uh, to try to find Luke. And they go, I think, I, I, oh, they, there was, they wanted to, they go through uh, Luke's trash. When they'd been to his apartment before, right when he was missing immediately, and forgot to go through his trash because they weren't really sure what they were, you know, because they're looking for clues, anything that might help them find him. And so they go back. When they do, they see that 
someone is a couple of very military looking guys possible operators are watching his Luke's apartment and I'm not going to get into specifically who these guys are but they do play a role and so that that tells Rick that there is something more here it's not just uh, there's not coincidental things this is there's somebody else is looking for Luke not just us and they're not the police and they look like they um they they look like they're professionals in not a good way and they come up you know they come up throughout the story that is kind of a key that's a key scene for them in that they know that um this is bigger than we thought and it's kind of a fun it was a fun scene to to write too because i had to get moira into luke's apartment without the bad guys seeing her mm-hmm. and so i did a little um had a little ruse ruse for that scene. It was fun to figure out and write, but I will leave it to the reader to find it. Well, I have good news here as far as the reader. Um, My UPS guy, who's I'm the only person he brings the books up to the door. They're not supposed to. Yeah, he he asked me for this book when I'm done. He wants this one. Oh, really? Yeah, but he doesn't know. Well, you know what? I write in them. So I actually ordered one for him. It should come today, or tom- uh-huh. it should come tomorrow. He's going to get one that doesn't have writing in it. <laughs> he asked for yours. Um, he asked for Mark Cameron's Chain of Command. Uh-huh. And he's cool. already read He read Panic Attack by Dick Belsky. He loved it. So I said, okay, let me get you uh, Matt's book. Let me get you Michael Connolly's. And that way he doesn't know he's getting it for Christmas. Because he, he's a good guy. Oh, how, how sweet of you. That's really sweet of you. Yeah, you know, I appreciate it. I readers because, out there. Yeah, I mean, no. That's, well, you should see the readers in my building. Um, the porters take it and send them to their country because they don't have libraries there. So they'll get this one. Yeah, I just give them away. Other than, I, other than that, otherwise I wouldn't be able to sit here because there would be books piled to the ceiling. So <laughs> you know the feeling. Yeah, when Luke calls Rick about going to Gabby's house, why doesn't he realize he might be blindsided? You know, you guys got to watch out, people. I can't talk about the Gabby scene. I can't oh, talk okay, about I got scene. that. Okay, that's why I didn't. I didn't. That's why I didn't finish the rest of it. So, it's all right. Rick Rick has suffers a lot throughout the book with what's wrong with him. And he yet he puts himself in some dangerous situations. How come? Because I got nervous a couple of times that he was going to really not make it, and that wouldn't make me very happy. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, he, he's ever since his wife was murdered all those years ago, he, and he feels in some ways responsible, and that's uh, mm. uh, that's in the backstory to the first book, Yesterday's Echo. He's uh, had this kind of. Um, uh, in, uh, overwrought desire to find the truth of the matter. Anytime he's hired on a case and there's some deeper truth, he's always trying to <clears throat> find it maybe going beyond even what his clients have asked of him. And he puts himself in danger. And it's a, it's a, right now it's a selfish thing for him to do because up until recently, he's only had his dog midnight to worry about. Now he's got a pregnant girlfriend and a potential child on the way. Not a potential child, but a child on the way. And it's it's kind of a, it's something he has to combat himself with. One thing I didn't mention about the CTE is that um, it, it, it makes Rick, as a, as a kid, he boxed golden gloves. He played football probably from the time he was 10 until he was a uh, sophomore in college. Mm. And he has had numerous concussions uh, as a private investigator. And all these things add up, and I, I, I didn't think it'd be, I had to be to be true to the character. I mean, it wasn't something I planned a million years ago when I started writing, mm. but to be true, true to the character, and try to, you know, it's, I'm, this is all fiction, and all the things that happened to Rick wouldn't really happen to one person, but you know, that's the way you write the books. So to be as true as I could to be this, to the situation, I thought it would make sense. They had CTE, so um, he's on. He, it's been a violent life. And the violence hasn't stopped as he's gotten older, unfortunately. Oh, it did for a little while when he was just sitting at his desk. But 
Now he's back out there in the real world. He's on a mission. When, he get, when he's emotionally connected to a case, they become missions. Uh, and uh, he can't really stop himself. On, and that's, um, that's not really fair to his girlfriend now and his potential child. Isn't that there's, there's a child that has that, I think. It was on the news the other day that he's got C, a form of that, CTV or something, yeah, where they can't cure it. They don't, know how to, they don't know how to fix it. And his name is There's Hunter. That would be, yeah. I don't, I don't, I would be very, un, that for a kid, that would be, he must have lived a traumatic life so far. The CT, the CTV, be, something like that. It scares me. Poor thing. Mm, so mm. tell us how he met, I'm going to add this question because I have to. Tell us about how he met Leah and his relationship and why doesn't he didn't want to? He doesn't want to tell her about his problem. Yeah, yeah. Leo was another one of those situations in, in a book. It was Lost Tomorrows, which was uh, two books before this one, where I she was the sister of Rick's former training partner when he was a cop, and the sister had mm-hmm. been had died in a hit and run car accident, and Rick had gone up to the funeral, and uh, he'd met Leah before. When they when he was a cop, but they, she asked him to invest. This is lost tomorrow. Was a couple of books ago. She asked him to investigate, and that was all planned when I was writing the book. But then they got in a relationship, which I didn't plan. So once again, it's one of those situations where things I didn't plan for, but sometimes it works out for the best. So, so they've been together now uh, for uh, I think about a year and a half, and they were brought together through uh, through um, tragic consequences and it kind of built a stronger, fast, strong bond. And, you know, Rick is truly in love and he's, once again, he has to try to regulate his inner instincts, his baser instincts to in a relationship. Now he hasn't been in a relationship for probably 10 years or so. And it's a different life for him. It's, it's, it's quieter. And there are demands that, you know, to be a normal person that he doesn't do that well with. Does he have trouble seeing at night too? Does he have a vision problem at times? He, he, he has was, a, well, yeah, he, uh, was another book where something very bad happened to him. He's slightly recovered, yeah. but yeah, he's got, his vision's quite bad. He wears glasses now. He wears glasses. So. Yes, so he needs to put he needs to put the glasses on the bed, especially at night. And I can tell you, as someone who has very bad uh, eyesight, that yeah, when the when the when the lights go out and the glasses go off, it's pretty pretty mushy. Yeah, well, he gets the lights out in the middle of the street sometimes too during the case. That's even scarier. It's like, oh my God, then I have to pray to help That's him right. get up. I know. So, has, uh, tell us about Detective Sheets and Officer Brown. Can we talk about them? How did they come into play to help him or not help him? Yeah, Officer Brown is a um, first cop on the crime scene. I won't get into the crime mm-hmm. scene, but um, it's later in the book. And Detective Sheets, Rick has, let's see, when did Sheets come in? He came in the fourth book, last, or Blood Truth. And Rick has had mm-hmm. a – Rick's father before him worked for the La Jolla Police Department and was thought to be a uh, – he was kicked off the force, much like his son, later in life from Santa Barbara. He was thought to be a guy that was dirty, and uh, so the La Jolla Police Department does not like Rick, and for not only just because of his father, but because Rick is Rick. And the one guy who's been fair to Rick, not friends, not buddies, won't help him. But the one guy who's been fair to him whenever he's dealt with him has been Detective Sheets. And he and Sheets uh, have a couple conversations in this book, too. It's not like he yeah. – it's definitely not It's definitely not a friendship, but cause it, it, there's other there's – other, there's another detective, Denton, who will not give Rick a fair shake. Deets, uh, Sheets at least will. I know, and I didn't think that was right because Rick is great. Seriously, now the one thing I love about him, I know, but you know what? He's like he's a lot like me. He's straightforward, says what he has to say, and straight to the point. And people don't like that, do they? Because that's me too. And if he wants to know something, 
he's going to go after it until he finds out, and that's me too. Yeah. So that's why I like him because I don't give up until I get what I want, and he did just he, does he? Well, don't you know? I don't have a whole lot for bail if the cops come for you, so be careful. <laughs> he's 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 a hot character. I like him though. So I'm trying to figure out here. I'm going to skip these two questions until the end. And let me go over here. So how has he changed over the series? How mm, has he changed? I mean, how did you, I mean, how do you create somebody like him? And then he, you know, I read every one of your books, by the way. You didn't even know I read Night Terrors and all the rest of them. People find me. Thank you. Lisa found me. Ocean View found me. They well, find I me all it. Not only that, I have one more book to read. I actually went through 30 books in two weeks. I don't know how I did it. And the next one is Ted Bell, Seacock, and that's all I'll say about that. And I have a, on the rest of the chair is all Ocean View. Publishing. No, well, lucky Ocean View. No, lucky me. So, Rick, <laughs> uh, Rick uh, yeah, I, I, as, you can prob- as you probably guessed from our talks, I don't, um, I don't map everything out. And one thing, when I first started writing Rick 20 years ago, didn't know anything about writing. I mean, I just had a degree in English, but I didn't know anything about putting a book together. But I was a crime fan, been a mystery fan all my life. And the, um, I wanted Rick to have there, – there are two things that were important to me as a know-nothing potential series writer – was that I wanted Rick to be a complete lone wolf, that he couldn't have a sidekick, couldn't have a sidekick to bail him out, couldn't have a sidekick mm. for lighten the mood. And the other one was that all physical and emotional trauma would have repercussions. Well, I broke the first rule very soon when I met Moira in um, the second book, Night Tremors. And she had a small part in that, and I wasn't really going to – I just needed her for a couple scenes, kind of an antagonistic scene. Then she started talking, and Rick started listening. I thought, well, she's interesting. I'll have her in a couple more scenes throughout the book, and I did. But I thought that would be it, one and done. She was fun. She's over. But no, she's come back. And, of course, as, as we talked about in this book, she's been a huge part of the series. So I broke that rule. The one rule I didn't break was the whole thing of everything matters, all emotional and physical trauma has – serious repercussions so i kept that but one even in in writing in and thinking about that years ago i never thought that i don't even think i knew about ct 20 years ago i don't think anyone did but mm. so maybe some maybe some doctors um clearly but i didn't anticipate for one thing the series getting as dark as it did it, it became much darker with revisions i made and I didn't anticipate putting Rick in a potential life-shortening situation. But I, like I said earlier, I didn't see any way around it. I wanted to be true to the character, and I wanted to make it as believable, if it could be believable, as it was. So that's why I continued down that train. And something, it's, I, it really, the whole CTE thing came to me about two books ago, and I thought, mm. this is, wow, Rick's had all these head traumas. I think I got to kind of uh, explore this, and this is the first book where I do that. But no, he has changed. He certainly changed uh, before before publication. He, he became much darker. But the thing had, the thing where he did change is that I did give him Moira as a friend, and I think that in some ways, although as he does breaks the law and does gets violent in many of these books. Moyer has brought out a little bit of a light in him that I think if I mm. hadn't somehow come across her, I don't think, I don't know if I would have written eight books. And I don't know if people would have wanted to follow a guy that would have been much more dour. And so it was a, a happy accident that I came across Moira and broke that first rule. Because I think it made the series better. And I think it made the series um, give it more longevity. In spite of the fact that I'm trying to kill Rick with a disease. Well, actually, Moira does give me, she's suspenseful. You never know what's going to happen when she walks through the door. You never know what she's going to ask. Her mood changes. And there are days that she's a happy person where she'll show up and then she'll disappear for a while, I remember. So I told you, I read everything. She's probably going to be angry with Rick at some point. Oh, that's good. She's, you know, 
we got to introduce her to somebody. She needs a boyfriend or something. Well, she has a boyfriend. Didn't <laughs> she have a boyfriend? She's had off. Uh, she's had off-camera boyfriends that don't seem to last too long. I know. See, I remember. I don't know how I remember all that stuff, but I. She's a hard. She's a hard nut. But she's That's like Rick's like big her. sister, and they have a a uh, a uh, brother sister relationship that has become a tight bond despite the way they talk to each other. Well, you know, sometimes you need somebody to be straightforward and straight talk and not take your guff and, you know, let, let you hear it the way you want to hear it. And a lot of people get upset. And, you know, I'll say, if you want, my, my mother-in-law used to say, if you're going to ask the question, you better want the answer because otherwise don't ask me the question. That's why I loved her. Exactly. That's why I miss her about exactly. it. Yeah. That's it. What can I say? So who is Odell yep. Donahue? I'm looking. I have the book in front of me. He's a um, he's an investor, a very wealthy investor, and mm. Rick goes to Rick. Had, Rick had helped him in not in an earlier book, but in just in the in the past uh, because he's mm-hmm. a new character. Rick had helped him. He was going to invest. I think it was in a chain of um, vitamin vitamin stores. You know, like. Um, what do they call them? They, call them? they don't call them vitamins. They call them I'm blanking on the term. Anyway, like a big vitamin store for like store for for, for people that are into um, fitness and, and cross training and all that. And but because he's a, he's a very um, studious investor, he wants to check up on. He's a little iffy on the founder of the company, so he, he hires Rick to check mm-hmm. up on him. And Rick finds out that the guy's. Uh, Dipping into not just his own vitamins, but uh, other drugs, and he's not a good bet. And uh, but so the guy doesn't invest, and the company ends up going out of business. So he, um, OD, thinks that Rick has saved him millions. So he's he's eager to help Rick. He's he's actually set up Rick with some of these um, business relationships he's had, where he's actually mm. making some decent money doing um, background checks. So Rick goes to him when he has questions about the Sandstroms because they're all in the investor world. And it was another character where I didn't see coming. That I, I, I put him in a house in La Jolla that I've seen, I, a real house mm. that um, I remember. It took years for them to build this house. It's, and mm. I, looked at it on, I looked at it online, and it's a gorgeous, incredible house. So... I wanted to stick somebody there, and I figured, well, this guy can afford it. So I, uh, I put him there. And the one thing I did too, and this is true about the house, it's got an underground parking, and it's got a rotating like Batmobile, um, you know, uh, platform when you drive mm. in because it's a five-car garage, so you can drive in and the thing spins around. So I thought that was quite cool, <laughs> and Rick thinks it's fun too. So that was fun. I, I would like to be able to go inside that house, but I have. I have looked at I looked at uh, it online, and it, they, they pretty much show you every inch of it. So I feel like I've been there. Nice. And I'll have to settle for my little apartment. That's okay. <laughs> well, that's what I do too. Yeah. So before I forget, Thursday. This is really a weird title. Pickle Pink in Paris. The author will be here on Monday. The author of the Council of the Cunning. And on the 8th, we got some really nice people that you know, Dick Belsky, Dennis Palumbo, mm, yeah. and Charles yeah. Salzberg, and who's the fourth one? Yeah. Oh, T.J. T. O'Connor. And we're going to talk about yeah. something extremely different. Um, everybody is so caught up in this pandemic, and the publishing companies are not doing print. They're sending me print because it's me, but both basically they only want to send PDF. So we're talking about how this miserable COVID, if it would only die and never come back, has affected industry, has affected life, and just in general. And how do you get a book published in this time? Because, I mean, I see a lot of people's new books coming out, and I'm writing one too, quite different from the rest of the world, I was told. And um, I'm just curious to know, you know, how you get it published by a publisher that's not going to charge you $4 million. Uh, the 14th, we have um, 
the cliff cliff diver on the 16th on the on the 14th Nancy Walker Night Stalker and on the 20th what better way to end December than with Deb Pines a plague among us and that's just December and I am totally honored that on January 5th Mark Hammond's going to be here with Chain of Command that's big for me fantastic I can't believe that it's great. <laughs> so question I can, uh, this just, is the hardest thing did you read Chain of Command? It's good. No, no. I was just going to make a brief, a brief comment about the whole, not necessarily the publishers getting books out, but the the yeah. um, the the, uh, the delay in things. Uh, I just found out yeah. that one of Ingram, one of my one of the distributors, big the big distributor, can't get doesn't have. I mean, they had some of my books. They're all gone now, but they're they're waiting on others because they can't get them because of the supply chain issues. So, or maybe, I, you know, so that's a little distressing. But uh, I know more are on the way. You know, you're right. I I agree with you. As a matter of fact, my um, optometrist, uh, the girl in the optometrist office, just emailed me to say that they're still waiting for my glasses that I ordered like three months ago because oh. usually they come oh, in two boy. weeks. You have to understand yeah, that I, exactly. I get I get bored wearing glasses more than a month. If I don't get two new pairs, I go crazy. I have to look good. I have about <laughs> ten pairs of glasses, and if I don't wear something different every day to match my crazy hair, it wouldn't be me. So she's like really upset. Well, at least you have can't. backups. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but you know, you get bored after a while, and you know somebody will say, "Didn't you wear that yesterday?" Oh no, no, it was not me. It was somebody else. What can I say? <laughs> So when you decide to choose a title of a book, how do you choose a title that fits the story, like The Last Redemption mm-hmm. or Night Tremors or the rest of them? How do you choose the title? Because that's the hardest thing. A lot of times I read books yeah. and I go, like, how did that title fit that? It doesn't, you know, I read millions. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that's not what the book is about. It's about something else. So how do you decide on the title? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one because uh, my first book, Yesterday's Echo, uh, was a two two word title, and my publisher liked that. Ocean View liked the two word title, so that's what they wanted to come thereafter. So, for me at least, the, like you just mentioned, you, you want the title to have some significance to what's actually inside. So mm-hmm. I've had to think about boiling everything down to two words um, when when I when I'm writing these books, and generally. I know some. I know some authors that come up with the title first and they write the book around it. But mm-hmm. for me, it's the other way around. I I find the title generally mm-hmm. in the text. And um, this one, let's see, this one, I can't remember. Really fits. I think it can't. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, this was one of those ones that came after. I've had. I think we only had. I've had Blood Truth and and. Uh, uh, Blind Vigil both came early in, while I'm writing the book, but almost every other one has come after I finished the book. And this one came this one came late, but it was in there. Generally, the the, the title is somewhere in the text, maybe not specifically the two words back together, back to back rather. But um, I, I I don't worry about it when I'm writing it that much because I figure by the time I'm done, it's going to come to me. But often I have to go back and search for it afterwards and with the book i just turned in that comes out next uh, october or november i had to i came up finally came up with the title after i finished and i inserted something later it made mm-hmm. sense but i inserted something later to i to give me that title and it actually brought everything together but yeah titles are hard when you have to do it this way i think but it does. It is good in the long run for giving like the like an elevator pitch or something like that, or like a mm. little tag for your book because you've done all that work to kind of boil it down. If you can remember, which I have problems. Well, the, the fun the fun part sometimes. Well, my last book, Population Zero, a lot of people don't understand why I wrote it. That's really so sad. I, I created nine worlds that no one would want to ever be live in. I had a dead body come, spirit come back and live in the world, hoping that people will understand that if you live in my world, maybe you better start living in this one the right way. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm only hoping. Yeah, I'm on tour. I can't believe they took it. Black uh, Coffee uh, Tours is, is Isabella Blackthorne, and they're giving me a tour for a month because I review for them, and they love me. <laughs> and this time they thought, 
Yeah, that, I can't. Well, we'll see what happens because I didn't get any uh, feedback yet today, and I'm, that's okay because I'm not ready to see any feedback. So they, the same thing with the title and the cover. I mean, I come up with titles that I, I don't even know, and of course you have a publisher that could help you. How helpful is the publicist when you're writing a book? I mean, I know everybody. I know that I get Lisa sends them. I'm her favorite person to send them. But I noticed that a lot of the you guys have to sort of like promote your own thing. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, Oceanview is uh, one of the mid-tier publishers in ter- terms of size, and so mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, marketing, majority of the marketing, is done by the writers. Uh, but that's not unusual, I think, for big houses either. If yeah. you're a mid-lister, so it's it's good to hone the craft. It's um, it's good to know that going in, and I don't think I really knew that a million years ago when I started, but. Um, mm-hmm. The more you go, the more. I did. I did understand that I it would be good to meet writers, so I went to. And plus, I'm a fan, so I went to. Uh, I go to book signings now, but I used. To, you know, I went before I was ever published. Before I ever had an agent, I went to book signings, met authors, went to conferences. I still do when they have them, and uh, met other authors that way. And I highly recommend that for people who, um, you know, wanting to break in. But uh, Lisa does a great job. What Ocean View does for a small pub- publishing house better than any other one I know is they do great yeah, they um, are good. Pre-public- pre-publication things where getting you a lot of reviews and getting you interviews like this and uh, putting it out there. So they, they really do, and Lisa in particular works really hard at getting the most they can out of their limited budget. And um They've always been really good at the pre-pub. You're lucky because I got picked up by an independent publisher for Population Zero. I won't say which one. And I didn't realize I got blindsided because basically they're not supposed to charge you. It was a fortune. They did okay, but they did nothing Mm -hmm. to promote the book at all. Not even one thing on Facebook, nothing. And they said if you want us to promote the book, it'll cost you another $4,000. I said, you have to be kidding me. And they sent me, like, this guide. I said, that's why I did a tour with Partners in Crime, which is the best. So I said, you know, yeah. that that's ridiculous, yeah. So how did you create the epilogue, and where do you see my Rick next? What's going on for him next? <laughs> Your Rick. Uh, everybody, every one of my books has had an epilogue. Uh, it just feels like there, there's a need to sum up and um, – in this one, I'm trying to think of the epilogue. Uh, yeah, it was there was there was more than the ending. So Rick's Rick's uh, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna ruin it for anybody, but it, it it shows a it shows a path potential path for Rick. And um, next for Rick. I just turned in number nine, the very uplifting title that I, as we mentioned, I got after I finished the book is called Doomed Legacy. So you can tell it's going to be a very uplifting book. Um, And that'll be out, I think it's October or November. I'm not sure which month it comes out in 2022. Well, as soon as they have it, they'll send it to me way before then. I could tell you now. Every well, day, I, uh, I, I get the, I get Ocean View like every day something, and I go like, oh my god, these are too good, and they're really good. Blame, and I've got a few that I started, and I said, yeah, they're really good, they're amazing. And she just, I must be, I think I uh, did work with her before, and then she left, and then she came back. So that's what can true. I tell you? See how I don't know why I remember all this. Well, what can I say? They're lucky to have her. And I don't, you know, if I need something, I, I just ask. So every single novel that you write is different, right? Every storyline is different. How do you decide the setting before we end? How do you decide the setting of the story? Like where it takes well, place? Has, well, they generally all, they've only had one that's been outside San Diego and now it's Santa Barbara and Los Tomorrows, which is where Rick went to school and was a cop. And it made sense to go back there. But what I do try, I, I try to do, if possible, is kind of have an iconic San Diego landmark mm. in the books. I haven't done it with every one of them. But the, how I decide the, the story is, as we mentioned before, I don't 
well, we didn't mention I don't outline, but we did, we mentioned I don't really plan even in terms of arcs of series. But so one thing I the first thing that comes to me is the major subplot for Rick. What's going on with him physically mm-hmm. or emotionally in his private life that he has to battle with, and then there then I figure out what case could he take that'll make that battle even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they overlap. Um, the actual, like in Blood Truth, there was a backstory about his father, or a subplot about his late father that really became a, a main plot. There were kind of two A plots. So that's happened in a couple books. But, but generally, it's um, Rick's dealing with something, and there's also a case he gets involved in, and how could I make his life more miserable with the case? But mm-hmm. the subplots come easily. The subplots seem to come easily, and the the plots themselves, the main plots, are more difficult. That, that's amazing because that's the the hardest thing is when I get um, a book to read, like the other day, uh, like yesterday, and the plot is ready to put me to sleep, or I get angry because I see the plot is based on a real life issue that really aggravates the fact that this person disagreed with that. Well, what happens when you have a book that has like five or six subplots and then three storylines, and that makes it hard for the reviewer? Well, I I get it because I take out my graphic organizer from teaching reading, and I put it all together. But you you, you, you might have one plot or two plots. You don't have like ten plots in in one book, right? Because that gets confusing for anybody. Yeah, I don't think I'm smart enough to do that. Plus, I write yeah, in first it, person, so. Yeah, well, you don't. Well, you also don't use prologues, right? You don't. You don't have no. a prologue at the beginning. No, a lot. A lot of the books do. Some of them, it's like a what happened in the present, and they go to the past. The other thing I like about yeah. your books is that you, you tell it in one voice. I don't have to guess. In other words, uh, the last book I read is this is chapter. This is this person. This is this person. This is that. I go. Mm-hmm. Oh God, why me? Oh uh, yeah, and. Do you review them? Do you ever review the books? I don't. I don't review books. Um, I right, because I would feel badly about giving a lore that I, I, I would have a hard time giving another author a bad review. So, I, but I want to be honest. So I just don't do mm-hmm. it. I do blur books. <clears throat> I do blur books. I blur a lot of books, um, but mm-hmm. I don't review. And I, I know other authors that review, and I've had other authors review my books, and I'm very thankful for it. But I just made a decision that it wouldn't work for me because I, I'd feel bad if I didn't give everybody five stars. And so if I can't be honest and do that, then I'm just not going to do it. Well, you see, I agree with you. I don't give bad reviews ever. But if a book is like three and a half, four stars, I'll review it, but I won't post it on Amazon unless the person mm-hmm. says, you know, please review it. I will not review a book if it's less than three and a half stars. I'm not going to review it at all. Or just write a summary yeah. because somebody worked really hard. And I like the book yeah. I read yesterday. I won't tell you what it is. Um, I wrote a review. I did not write a grilling review. I just wrote basically what I think about the characters. And at the end, I said, would you want to come to this party? And, <laughs> uh, well, no, yeah, it was it was awful. It was awful. And the, the party was about revenge, and I was like, oh, my God. And when I found out why the party was for revenge, I got really upset about the public issue. So I said, I'm not posting this one on on anywhere. Um, it's coming out in February or whenever it comes out, and I'll just tell the publicist, you're lucky I read this. I mean, I won't write anything bad, but it doesn't exactly say it's one of my favorite books. It was horrible, seriously. Mm. Um, <laughs> thank God I have Ted Bell next. <laughs> what can I say? So where can everybody buy every one of you? But do you have another series besides Rick Cahill that I don't know about? No, I don't. Rick, Rick's all I have right now. Um, my books are available, uh, you know, everywhere, all the places, uh, local bookstores, uh, Amazon, Independence. Um, like I said, there is a supply chain issue right now, but I think that uh, yeah. most of the e-retailers are lined up. I, I've got an event tonight in La Jolla at Warwick's, and they've got books, and I've got extras in case they don't. Well, I, I saw you in your in your room with signing books. I saw that on Facebook. 
which is really cool. Oh, that was uh, yeah, that was uh, I'm because of the world of COVID. I'm I'm, I'm first of all really happy to do my first um, in-store book event where I'm actually seeing people mm-hmm. in almost two years. I did interview somebody at more at Warwick's uh, a couple months ago. Their first their first oh, nice. live, uh, event in almost a year and a half. But that I'm doing a poison pen Zoom with Megan Beaumont, a great great writer. We're doing poison pen a Zoom, via Zoom on Thursday, and mm. they sent me uh, they sent me thirty I think it was about thirty six books ahead of time so I could sign them and then send nice. them back to them. Yeah, so they could you know sell signed books as opposed to just book plates. So yeah, that was really cool, and I was I was happy to do it, and it was a very heavy box. Well, that that is that is really nice. I mean, I haven't been anywhere, and I don't go anywhere because I'm afraid of this 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 horrible virus. That you know, maybe someday they'll figure out how to get rid of it. But it's it's great. I've been getting a lot of. Um, some of the authors send me PDF, and you know something. Once in a while, I'm yeah. nice and I print it out, but it costs a fortune at FedEx. One one book I won't tell you. The author didn't realize it. There were like 700 pages, and it cost me $300 to print it out to do the interview. I didn't tell the person. I was like, oh my god. And then there were a couple of First authors of that have just said, yeah, sent it to me. I'm sending you PDF. Um, I said, but you know, it's very hard when you already set up the interview to tell the person. I said to the person, it's going to cost me a fortune at FedEx. I said, that. thank you very much. What can I say? I won't wow. do that anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, a I, lot of I, people I, don't realize. And I'm lucky because my friend at FedEx will do anything for me. I mean, I just have to call you, up and go. You, you tell the, yeah, they're not supposed to, but they don't care. And if the author doesn't care, they'll, they'll do it for me. They, that's why when I walk in, I get my projects done right away. But anyway... Mm-hmm. I want to thank you. Do you do you do the panel shows? If you want to join the panel next Thursday, let me know because it should be interesting to get another point of view. But I can't next Thursday. But thanks. Um, that's a good panel too. Those are I know all those guys, and they're all good writers and good people. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun, and I can't wait to get your next one. And make sure I'm on the list, people. For those people that are um, out out there, I'm praying to God that the CDC comes up with a cure for this or variant that's come up, and that everybody thinks before they say they don't want to get vaccinated. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But but trust me, after seeing my family with this, you don't want it ever. Matt, thank you so much. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, and bye. Thanks, Fran.